1: Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It is our weekly podcast, Spit. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass, coming at you, talking all things surf and a few things not surf-related. It is a Tuesday, January 26th of 2021. The month of January is almost done.
0: Crazy. Isn't it? I don't know. It goes by fast. Um How's 2021 starting off for you as compared to 2020? <laughs>
1: 2020 in January seemed like all systems go. <laughs> that's true.
0: That's true. That feels like, speaking of feeling like a long time ago, that's like a decade ago now.
1: Yeah. 2021, there's a lot of optimism for 2021. So
0: That's how I feel about it too, actually. Yeah. Um, it can only go up from here, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. It has to go up.
0: Speaking of which, how did your yeah. surfboard sale go on Saturday?
1: It went surprisingly well. Good. Um, the weather cleared, so from like seven thirty in the morning to around eleven, the clouds parted and the the rain stopped. And um, it was definitely still wet out there, but uh, it was a big success. A lot of boards were sold, and um, it was a lot of fun too.
0: I was worried you were going to get thwarted by the by the weather by the rain. Well,
1: I'm look it. At around 11.45 or so, it just completely took over. Oh, it did? Yeah. Okay. And everyone scattered, and it was over by 12.30 okay. because it, was, it set in hard and heavy there Saturday afternoon.
0: What were the highlights of the show or of the uh, sales? Any cool boards?
1: Um, yeah, there was a bunch of cool boards. One of the cool things was this friend of mine, Rob, showed up. Set up shop at 7:30. He had four or five old '60s era longboards. Um, he threw them on his tarp, backed up his old pickup truck, and stood there. and And he had a little Dextra pipo board too. Within five minutes, all of the boards, everything he brought, was gone. No way. Yeah because he priced it right. I mean, he was like 150 bucks, you know. What? 150 bucks. Yeah, It was like these just kind of like early 60s era, you know, kind of like not too sophisticated, you know, cr- groovy longboards, you know.
0: Um, were they something that he's been storing for that long or
1: uh, he's got a bit of a collection. I think those were ones where he's like just need to get these out of the garage, you know.
0: Right. Uh, what was pricing like in general? We were talking about how it's so hard to get a new custom board now, or the wait is so long, yeah. and that's driven up pricing on the resale market. Yeah, did you see that?
1: Absolutely, there was, uh, I mean, you know, relatively high. Sometimes at these things boards are like two hundred bucks, you know. Right. And I would suggest to you that at this event, boards were three hundred and fifty, four hundred dollars, and people were moving. Pro- I sold a board for five hundred dollars. Really, and what kind of another board? board? I don't want to get into which boards I sold, but um, I sold a board for five hundred dollars, and I sold a board for three hundred dollars. Okay, and that's all I brought. It's two boards.
0: You don't want to get into it because it might reflect on the shaper. Is that why?
1: I mean, I just I just want to keep my cards close to my vest.
0: All right, fair enough. Um, I'm it's funny with any other resale market, I want to get the best price possible. Surfboards are one thing where I actually want the pricing to go up.
1: Yeah. I
0: I mean, I, I have enough, I guess what it comes down to is ultimately I have enough friends in the business that, um, that I feel like are not adequately compensated and, and it's like a travesty. Right. And so I just want, And, and the other thing is like the people that I see buying surfboards for, let's say a brand new shortboard for 450 bucks, you know, from the local shaper. And I'm thinking to myself, that person drives a luxury car. They golf three times a week. They vacation a couple of times a year. They honestly can afford to spend a thousand dollars on, if that was the price of the shortboard, they could afford to spend that. And so I kind of try to reconcile that with the shaper who I also know who doesn't own a property, who, you know, can barely cover taxes at tax time and has hard time keeping employees because they, you know, the employee can make more money just being like working on a construction site, essentially. Like, it's hard for me to reconcile, to make those two things jive in my head. Yeah.
1: Well, that makes
0: sense. I understand where you're coming from. So I'm all for increased prices. And you, yeah. What
1: What are you doing there? Are you stirring
0: something? Stirring my tea.
1: Tea. What kind of tea are you drinking? Mint.
0: Moroccan mint.
1: Oh, okay. A decaffeinated tea.
0: Um. No, I think it's got caffeine. Green tea. Right. Does green tea have caffeine? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. have a, a little, little bit. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Um. I'm not too affect adversely affected by caffeine in the afternoon, but it's a cold, windy day here, and I thought it'd be nice. Nice afternoon well, treat little spot.
1: Look at you with your you got your like dinner jacket on.
0: What is uh, this? Got the logo on the the cup. What's that?
1: L, oh, I don't get it.
0: It's my girlfriend's name.
1: Oh. The it's logo. Her,
0: it's her the, mug. The brand. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not like I got it. It's right. her mug that I'm using, but That's sweet. At any rate, I wanted to kind of dedicate this show to surfboards because I did want to do a deep dive with uh, Stab in the Dark, and there's probably more to discuss as well. But what's on your agenda for today? Any feedback? Any emails? Yeah,
1: I do have some stuff. Let's see. Um, Wait, real quickly. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay.
0: Did you you buy any used surfboards this weekend? No. Okay. I did did not,
1: but I did make an offer on a board today on Instagram. Let me see what he says here. A new board, <laughs> no used board. <laughs> okay,
0: interesting. Uh, I was going to be amazed if you sold three boards this weekend and bought six. <laughs> that would suit your uh, your brand much better.
1: Guy didn't get back to me. He must not like my price. <laughs> maybe.
0: Well, maybe he's. Uh, I mean, I I don't respond to DMs sometimes for days. So yeah, all right. There, hold Here out you. hope. Do you want to say what the board was?
1: It was a uh, Clyde Beatty Jr. Uh, like a rocket fish type thing.
0: You're hooked. <laughs> yeah. This one's a little smaller. You're hooked on the CBJ. Yeah. Kind of am. Good for you. By the way, again, interrupting what I just asked you to talk about. Um, that's yeah, right. Nice to have a couple of days off surfing, right? I surfed today. I just got out of the Did water. You? Yeah. How was it?
1: All by myself, kind of lumpy. Um, kind of raw, you know, tide was draining out. reef had some really fun drops. Okay. And I just like being out there by myself when it's kind of big and a little bit out of control. It's kind of fun.
0: So for those who don't live locally in Southern California, we had a month run, more than a month, essentially, of really, really good waves. Uh, Kind of the best winter on record in, I don't know, a very long time that I can remember in a way.
1: Yeah, it's no? funny. Pe- well, it's I think people's memories are short. Uh, it, it's been a really great winter, and it's been a, a good winter, you know, and certainly in the top five in a long time. But I, I do recall maybe 15 years ago having Januaries that were just like this, where it was like every day, two sessions a day, glassy all day, pumping, Yeah, you know? I don't know 15. the exact year, but I, I recall – And very similar to this too, like it's like, it happens for about a month or five weeks and then spigot gets turned off and it's back to normal.
0: Well, the last few days, then we got crazy winds and rain over the weekend. Um, But I was just thinking, like it's a top. it could be a topic of discussion actually is, uh, do you appreciate the reprieve, the break from surfing? I mean, we all pray for surf and wait for those runs, but once it's over, do you actually appreciate it?
1: Yeah, you know, a little bit because there's a lot of work that needs to get done. There's a lot of shit that needs to get done. Like, frankly, wintertime surfing takes a solid two and a half, three hours every session out of my life. Whereas in the summer, you can run down for 40 minutes, get wet, feel good, come, you know what I mean, get your exercise in. So, yeah. You know, it does take some time, but um, at the end of the day, you and I need our exercise every day and sadly or perhaps happily surfing is how I get my exercise.
0: Work is I think what I'm referring to as well is I would be fine surfing every day or I'd I'd appreciate surfing every day, but that work just gets backlogged. And so when I get this reprieve of the last two or three days, I, I appreciate getting caught up on work is kind of what it comes down to. Like I've had these merch podcast t-shirts sitting here for over a week now and i need to build the shopping cart on the website and i don't have the time to do it because i'd rather go surfing you know what i mean so these boxes of t-shirts are just sitting here instead so i need the time for stuff like that so anyways i've enjoyed this little run of monday through wednesday now of uh i guess it's tuesday monday and tuesday of just relaxing yeah not having to like check the waves incessantly
1: right yeah for sure for sure would you would you ride right now I've been riding that twin fin, that 610 Ryan Sacle Saber twin fin. Yep. And um Yeah, it's been going yes. good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good, good.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into it.
1: Well, um, you know, we were talking about the big the big day on the North Shore and well in Hawaii, all of Hawaii last week, and our friend AJ sent a pretty good Thought along in an email, and he said, Did Nathan Florence and the North Shore crew that traveled to Jaws make the right call? Did they miss the day of days on the North Shore? Sort of an interesting question because I think we can all relate. Those of us that have a local spot that we surf all the time and that our hearts are sort of tied to, when you hear about those days that are really good there and you're not there, you're missing it, you feel kind of like something's off something's FOMO. off kilter yeah fomo and uh you think nathan florence and uh, those guys that surf jaws
0: feel like they miss the day of days on the north shore so i agree with you about you're missing your local spot you do feel fomo but there's another thing that i often feel as well or that i've learned through maturity which is be grateful for what you have and also like uh if you got good waves, don't worry about what other waves are doing elsewhere. You scored. Be happy that you scored. Yes, you could have scored additionally elsewhere, but you scored. Just be happy with that. That's kind of how I feel about it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you're I think on are something. Um, I got another email. It's kind of long. Let me see if I can get through it. Hey, David and Scott. My name is Tyler. I come to you from the East Coast. Just wanted to write this long overdue email to share my appreciation for the work you both do. I am ashamed it is taking me this long to support the show financially. But figured better late than never. Um, so it looks like he's going to be subscribing to he did. our, yeah, our efforts. Set up. Cool. Uh, down the line, what has now become spit was actually the first podcast I ever listened to. I found it back in 2016 when I was fresh out of college and working a mindless warehouse job in the Outer Banks, trying to chase the dream of surfing and riding my bike every day. So I started in the backlog, and I caught all the way up to the current show over the span of a few months. No lie, I would listen to about four to five hours of surf banter a day just to keep myself entertained while I mindlessly packed boxes and filling purchase orders. It's pretty. It's been pretty cool to see the growth of the show over the years. And look forward to more for more to come in the future. P.S. I completely agree with Scott's entire worldview on Trader Joe's, which I thought was clever. I think I wrote back to both of you that I had no idea I had a worldview on Trader Joe's. I love that sentence. The idea that my worldview is just very specific, and it's like after we get the Trader Joe's question resolved. I'm probably going to be in a state of serenity.
0: I'd love to hear your take on Whole Foods.
1: Whole Foods is, um, let's see, where is there one around here? I don't know, but we have a place in Encinitas. I forget the name of it. I should know the name of it, but it has huge aisles, gorgeous, huge aisles that you can drive a Mack truck through. There's no little old lady trying to, Elbow me out of the blueberry aisle. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know.
0: Um, You guys have, I mean, obviously you got Seaside Market.
1: Oh, look, I love Seaside Market. I was there today. But the idea of shopping there, have you ever been in there? Yeah. The aisles 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 are like this. I can't even go in the aisles. When I go to Seaside Market, I have a very specific plan. So I'm going to go around. I'm going to grab my LaCroix. I have to go around, grab my LaCroix. There is one aisle I have to snivel in to get my chips. And then I beeline it all the way around. I won't deal with the deli at all. It's way too crowded. I'll go straight to the soup area, ladle myself some really good soup. I had the uh, chicken pot pie stew today. It was really good. Mm. Ladle myself some stew and then beeline it, hopefully, to a checkout aisle that's not too long. I won't, I won't waver from that half Smart. right there.
0: Smart. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is funny. I got a more feedback about that trader Joe's conversation than anything in a long time too. <laughs> it's the truth. It is true. Very funny. Well, thanks for the subscription, Tyler. We really appreciate that. goes a long way. So that reminds me though, he said the very first podcast he listened to is down the line. Uh, Let's reset. This conversation comes up every 18 months or so, but the very first iteration of this show or you even doing a show period was for Surfer magazine, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. In
0: 2005? Yes. With Sam George as a co-host.
1: It was kind of me and I would grab co-hosts. Sometimes it was Sam. Sometimes it was Chris Morrow. Other times it was just me.
0: From within the offices at Surfer. Yeah. The name podcast, I don't think was even invented then.
1: Yeah, it was internet radio. We called it Surfer Magazine's internet radio or Be-
0: in the, because lineup. Because you in had the to, lineup. Because you had to go to Surfer Magazine's website to listen to it. There was no app on your phone, obviously. Right,
1: right, right. So that's exactly. why
0: it was internet radio is you'd go to the internet to get it. And right. uh, at what point did you start incorporating it into an app? Do you even remember?
1: Yeah, well, one of my technical guys, Kevin, was like, you know, like within maybe four or five months, he's like, hey, these things are called podcasts, okay. <laughs> you know, like, they're Apple's calling them podcasts, you know, and so that's what this is, you know, and, and you can listen, you can download them on your phone and listen to them, you know, so obviously, I, I don't know the year the iPhone came out, but um, do you know the year the iPhone?
0: Came? Not off the top of my head. Anyway, no.
1: when the iPhone came out, podcasts were a thing, you could, you know. So I think it coincides with that.
0: And that, I want. I, I should go back and try to figure out what year it was. Maybe like, because I think I'd listened to it on Surfer Magazine once or twice, and then it went away. And then I found, I started listening to podcasts and I was um, doing a little bit of filming of surfing. And so I was on the beach for long stretches of time. And I was listening to other podcasts, but I was like, man. I wonder if there's any surf related podcasts. So I type in surf into the function and I found yours, which I associated back with the surfer magazine iteration of it. And that's kind of how the ball got rolling. And then obviously I was like, I could get into this space. And so I reached out to you and was like, Hey, cause I think you went through two or three different co-hosts. And so the show was being published uh, like inconsistently, essentially when a co-host would leave so I reached out and I was like, dude, in addition to doing long form interviews, let's, I would love to also discuss news. And I know that your co-host is, you know, whatever had moved or whatever it was. And so, and that was 2000, yeah. 2013 when I reached out to you.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, was one, so, so when I, I went to terrestrial radio, so I was on, um, extra sports, 1360 in San Diego every Sunday morning I was on radio. And they would, we would do the show live and then they would take the show and put it on their podcast. So it. there's a lot of down the line surf talk radio from Extra Sports 1360 in San Diego that made their way to that iHeartRadio format, whatever, however you got the podcast, you got it. Um, so yeah, but, but really um, 2013 was really, sort of I don't know I guess it's just another chapter
0: you know even it's then, been the longest
1: right like this has been this will be our eighth year Is that crazy
0: right? that's crazy but yeah. yeah I mean even then in 2013 nobody knew what a podcast was yeah like yeah. when I was I didn't even tell people about it because and even when i like uh reach out to somebody to interview them they're like uh what's a podcast, you know, and where do I listen to it? And lots of them probably they never even listened to their own interview because they didn't know how to access it. But what I was going to say is uh, how crazy is it? How much the platform has exploded since then? You well, could especially never in dreamed the, in your wildest dreams.
1: In the last two years, right, yeah. David? I mean, it's like everybody's got a podcast. Like it's kind of like the thing. And um that's great. You know, there's so much fun content out there to listen to. I mean, I've been listening to the Thomas Jefferson Hour again, you know, I, and I listen to Dan Carlin all the time. I've just finished Wrath of Cons again. I listened to the Wrath of Cons series again. It's insane, mm. so good. And there's a few other ones. Um, I don't know, was it you that turned me on to, um you know, some other guy turned me on to Gladwell's podcast?
0: Malcolm Gladwell's?
1: Yeah it's, I don't know. It didn't, didn't get my fancy.
0: I like his books. I don't like, like his podcast very much.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't like, I didn't bite the hook on the podcast, but anyway, point is there's so many and there are quite a few bad ones of which this, (laughs) this this may be one. (laughs) This particular
0: episode. Well, that's, what's great about it is um, there's a million different flavors and it's not supposed to appeal to everyone. Like we're, we're long past the era where you had to make the love boat and it had to appeal to all of America. So you were trying to cater to the broad market. This it's a niche market. If we only had, you know, whatever, 10,000 fans, that's adequate, you know? So
1: love boat reference,
0: Isaac. Remember remember those days where there was like seven channels and like,
1: yeah, (laughs) crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my energy level's pretty low. It's late in the afternoon. <laughs> I'm kind of
0: tired. Stab in the dark. Do
1: we want to do Stab in the dark? I mean, we can talk about it. The first episode came out, Stab in the Dark Taj Burrow. Um, I think they're putting out four episodes. And there are
0: 13
1: boards. Did you watch it, by the way?
0: Yes, I did. And okay. this was the final um, nail in the coffin to get me to sign up for Stab Premium, by the way. Because... I told you I've been wanting to for probably a month or so since they introduced it, but there was never a hook, you know, it was like, I'll do it later. And then there would never be a hook to actually force me to pull out the credit card and do it. And in preparation for this, I was like, dude, I'm dying to see stab in the dark. And, uh, it was worth it. The episode one alone was worth the price. I would tell anybody if you're not signed up for stab premium and you're unsure, spend the 10 bucks, for this month alone, you can cancel after if you want, but it's worth the ten bucks just to watch that.
1: Well, I'll tell you, i i i've I've been a, a subscriber to Stab Premium since it started, and it's only been around a couple months. But, um, I mean, I'm looking at the content right now, and it's pretty damn good. I haven't read all of them, I haven't clicked through all of them, but there's a feature called Post Career Blues, Mental Illness, Substance Abuse, and the World tour surfing there's stab in the dark there's surfer of the year by the way i haven't even looked at any of these but i will (laughs) there's actually i watched this one there's some beautiful blonde girl that i clicked on here winners of 2020 which is meet the surfers that had six seven and eight figure paydays during an otherwise uninspiring year and it's a cool article about who's making money in surfing um there's tons of really good content. I think it's worth, and I look, I don't, the guys at stab don't even like me. I don't think I'm not, I'm not getting it. I'm just pitching it because I think it's good content.
0: It's a relevant news story. I mean, our listeners have been wondering probably whether or not to uh, pony up for that premium subscription, but I will say stab in the dark is worth it. And I think it always has been, I I've always appreciated the um, this franchise but it's serialized now. Like you said, it's four episodes. It used to just be like a one uh, piece, like 45 minute kind of video project. I would say the the production quality is actually improved. Little interstitials, little graphics, um, uh, all for the benefit of it, I think. Let's start with Taj Burrow. I mean, yeah. Taj, so great to have Taj back. I didn't realize how much I missed Taj. It also reminds me that we need to bring personality back into surfing. I mean, and it's not like Taj is outlandish or sensational in any way. He's just charming as could be. He's funny, he's quick. And I hate to, I mean, I'm, I i don't wanna point out anybody in particular on the world tour. He's, well, better then. he's better than he's better. I mean, he's better than, you know, like there aren't personalities anymore. Everything is so homogenized. And I think it's a reflection of there's a lot of money involved and people need to mind their P's and Q's and their sponsors. They get media training and all this sort of stuff. And it just makes everything so vanilla and homogenized. Taj comes from a different era and he's got personality and man, it was refreshing to get a dose of Taj.
1: I agree. I agree with everything you said. I thought he was great and I, am sure he'll continue to be great. Um, He was, you know, forthcoming. He was sincere. Um, He didn't hold back, you know, Um, he basically, you know, he talked about the boards. I think he wrote three boards or four boards. Yeah. Um, And, and I agree with you that his personality shines. He's a great surfer. Um, He's sort of the perfect demographic for this show. Totally. You know, like he's 42 or something like that. Yep. You know, I don't know what it is, but it seems like maybe all the surfers I see are like between 35 and 55. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe it's where I surf or something, but it seems like the demographic of surfers is middle-aged men. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Taj is totally relatable.
0: Yeah. It's really, I've never thought about that before, but you're right. You're, I mean, there's you, a, you and I are in the sweet spot of the demo.
1: I, we kind of are. I mean, there's occasional grom here and there. But, I, you know, when I think about where I surf in the parking lots and, mm-hmm. you know, from Del Mar to Swamis or whatever, it's a lot of you know, 30-year-old dudes, you know, which is like kind of prime for this, this stab in the dark thing.
0: Well, good news is Taj is uh, – really surfing like a Grom. I mean, he is utterly ripping <laughs> far from what you and I are probably riding, but I mean, he's riding high performance, 25 liter shortboards. I mean, these things are tiny and he's utterly ripping. He's looking more fit than I've seen him look in a while. And by the way, I haven't seen him in a while. He's kind of disappeared, which good for him. I, I really think like It dawned on me, I didn't know how much I missed Taj. And then it dawned on me, I hadn't seen Taj in probably a year or two. And I thought good on him because he went all out on tour for a very long time. And now he's settled into family life. He's got a wife. He's got, I think she's even got a baby on the way. He's got a baby with her or a kid with her. And I think they might have a baby on the way as well. So good on him for disappearing and just getting out of the demands of the media spotlight.
1: Okay, well, for the record, I never missed Burrow.
0: Really? <laughs> no, not in the way that you have. Apparently. <laughs> I didn't know that I did until I just saw him again. And I was so grateful to have personality. He is know?
1: refreshing. It's refreshing. And I was a little bit skeptical to be honest with you. I was like, ah, oh, Taj. Right. He's second fiddle. They wanted Kelly. Right. Uh, you know, and, um, and it's funny because in it, he's like, God, these things are kind of thin. They made all these boards way too thin for me. Yeah. And you're thinking, yeah, well, they're for Kelly who probably weighs a buck 60 and Taj is probably roaming in it like a buck 80.
0: Totally. And by the way, that was never explicitly stated by stab,
1: which means that, it's true.
0: That's something that I mentioned here because I've been interviewing a bunch of the shapers who have actually submitted boards to them. And they told me, you know, here's the dimensions of the surfer that they gave to me. So it either could have been Slater or, uh, Felipe Toledo. And I forget, you know, with the, those are basically the two guys that it would have been in that size. And, But somebody else told me that they shipped the boards to Bali, which would indicate that it was for Kelly because Kelly was in Bali for three months. Um, But then I got, I might've confused the information because that might've been, that board might've been for the uh, electric acid surfboard test. Mm. So these short boards actually could have been going to Felipe and not Kelly because they said Ashton in his narration through what I think is uh, a smokescreen, he was saying that, oh, because Taj doesn't like to surf the crowded breaks in West Oz, he likes to surf off the beaten path waves. We have these boards designed for waves under six feet that are more grovelly. And I'm thinking, there's no chance. Because even Taj, it's West Oz, first of all. So if yeah. Taj is going to go <laughs> surf like a lesser known spot, it's going to be over six feet and barreling, you know? Yeah. So that's total exactly. BS. And you're right, though. Taj alluded to it repeatedly these boards are way too small. And I think it was with Graham Smith's board. Uh, it's made for slopier, grovelly waves. This board is not made for high performance waves. It's made for crappy waves essentially. So that detail, I had a really hard time getting around throughout every board that he rode. It was like, well, that, yeah, the board has um, kind of limitations, because it's not made for those style of waves, you know? That was a little bit of a yeah. letdown for me.
1: Yeah, I see where you're coming from. That does make sense.
0: They're clearly too small for them. Well, what's cool
1: about them, right, is that, well, first of all, there's 13 of them, right?
2: Yeah. And
1: as as you know, in each at the beginnings of each stab in the dark, they put all the boards in front of the surfer, and they suggest to the surfer to try to figure out which board belongs to which shape, or do a guessing game, if you will. A matching game, and um, some of the guys in the past have been really good about going. Oh, this this feels like this is my shaper, or this one's from whoever. And Taj absolutely fumbled it, which was part of that charm that you were talking about. The fact he's like, I don't know, hell if I know. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he was kind of like, I'll try, but and he got them all wrong. You know, and um, that was kind of fun. You know, but even probably more interesting than that is that all of these boards were glassed by Justin Tierness at Dark Arts here in San Diego. So they have that vacuum-bagged carbon construction, super light, and every board has the same construction. They're all, they were all done by Dark Arts, which uh, I think is kind of cool. I don't know. I'm a big fan of JT's and what he's doing.
0: Definitely worth discussing. So there's uh, they've tried to incorporate a common denominator, of construction in the last couple of episodes with Mick Fanning. They did all EPS epoxy boards. So this is the common denominator here. And I mean, kudos to dark arts. I mean, this is a huge opportunity for them to showcase what they do. Can you, uh, I know that you interviewed Justin for the boardroom podcast. Can you explain more about the tech itself? Because we've had vacuum bagging and surfboards before we've incorporated carbon fiber before Is that simply what it is, or is there any other detail?
1: Well, that's basically what it is. You know, it's just carbon fiber cloth. Excuse me, carbon fiber cloth um, vacuum bag. Um, I'm sure that Justin has some proprietary techniques that he wouldn't even tell me about. uh, You know, during the podcast, stuff that you know, after years and years and years of doing this type of thing, you learn little tricks of the trade. Um, I know that he made me a board that was. Almost too light for me. Mm. It was. It came in at like five pounds or something. And I was just like, holy shit, man. And he was like, I know. I think I made that one too light. I don't, I don't know what I meant. Let me make you another one. And we're going to make you a bit, you know. So they're they're going to make me another one that's
0: five pounds is too light. Man. Well, what size board was it?
1: It was like a 6'2". Oh, okay. Performance tri-fin.
0: So um, are the blanks poly or EPS?
1: I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm not sure. I'd hate to. I'd think that they're EPS, but I really don't know. I, I really don't know.
0: Um, and what does that process do for the boards? What's the idea behind it?
1: Well, I believe the idea is to get as much resin out of the cloth and out of the out of the process as possible, and also to soak the fiberglass cloth, or in this case, the carbon fiber cloth, so that it's completely soaked. Right completely wetted Saturated. And, and attached to the foam obviously through the vacuum bagging. So, you know, like I said, I I'd hate to stumble on exactly all the the do's and don'ts of the techniques, but it's basically stronger and lighter.
0: Okay. So the idea is by getting all the resin out, lighter board, probably less brittle as well, getting all the resin out, but the fi- the carbon fiber allows it to be stronger than fiberglass cloth would be. Yep. What does it do in terms of flex pattern? (laughs) How does it alter the flex pattern? You're asking asking me like I'm supposed to know. (laughs) You interviewed the guy, you spent an hour with him. Oh, you know what? You should go
1: listen to the podcast. Oh, okay. (laughs) Boardroom Show Podcast. Look at you. You're
0: such a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Get Uh, out from under the bus and redirect towards your business. (laughs) Uh, So I would say from watching Taj surf them. I have not surfed one. Um, Real, like, I don't want to say twitchy, but like real responsive and flicky, you know? And I don't know, it also could have just been because the boards are small for him, but it's like going into a top turn, bang, flicks the tail out. The tail spins around super quick, tons of whip and responsiveness. Looks like the boards would surf the way that Felipe Toledo would surf them in small waves or something <laughs> like. Like it, it's going to add a layer of Felipe ness to your yeah. surfing. That's yeah. what I. That's kind of my impression of them. So the the downside is if you're if you're um into surfing high performance shortboards like that, inherently they're uh, less. They're going to fall apart. You know, like if you're surfing at that level, that style of board, they are going to fall apart. So the benefit of this technology or construction is that you get the lightweight, responsive kind of flickiness out of the boards without compromising integrity, structural integrity. So maybe you can ride the same board for, you know, a year yeah, rather, I, than, rather than a month.
1: There you go. You nailed it. You knew the answer to your own question.
0: Well, I was trying to set you up for glory, dude. So...
1: They're surfing all of the spots around Taj's home break, as you mentioned, because of COVID. They're, they're staying in Western Oz. Um, in the past, they would generally take the surfer away from their element, from their regional realm. I think they took Mick to Japan. They took Steph somewhere to Mexico, right? No?
0: I don't know. I forget Steph. I thought yeah. she was in Australia still, but yeah. yeah maybe they- she was. They do. Uh, Dane went to Max for sure.
1: Um, the three boards that they tried out. Uh, was it just three? One, two. No,
0: there was four. No, four,
1: yeah. So it was Axel Laurence from Pucas in in Portugal,
0: former boardroom show competitor. Board, That's right. Icons of Foam competitor.
1: That's right. He he was a competitor in the Ben Ipa Shape Off, um, and he's a great guy. Uh, Graham Smith who I don't know, but Geordie's father from Smith Shapes. Blake Peters, who's Panda brand. I think you ride one of his boards, right?
0: No, but I interviewed him.
1: Okay. And Timmy Patterson, Italo Ferreras, shaper and legendary shaper, really in his own right, Timmy Patterson uh, of the Patterson clan here in San Clemente. So those were the four boards in this portion of, uh, I guess, number one of four, Stab in the Dark. And um, what were your thoughts, David, on – I'll tell you what I thought. I I, I thought that there was one board that he wrote, and I was like, oh, he's not going to – this one does not look good. This one doesn't look good. It looks like it's bogging. I I thought that he was going to – it was the the, uh, Panda. Yeah. The Blake Peters panda. I was like, this just doesn't look good. He even kinda of, there was like a you could tell he was kinda of like bummed out. But eventually he ended up at least maybe gonna give the panda another try. He didn't he didn't shut it down completely. The one board, Dave, as you know, that he did say, No, this one's not gonna go on. I, I have to start eliminating boards here, was the Timmy Patterson board. Um and that was a little bit surprising, but I thought he was going to shut out the panda board.
0: Um, the Pukas looked the best to me without a question. I
1: agree. Yeah, absolutely. He um, was ripping right from the get go. And he even said, oh, I love this board. There's nothing wrong with it. And he was just shredding and it looked incredible.
0: Yeah. In the end, I wouldn't be surprised if that board won, but in this first episode, he didn't, uh, the waves actually weren't as good as they're going to be throughout the rest of the series. Cause we've seen previews for the rest of the series, but One thing that needs to be stated: You said I was surprised to see the Patterson not make it. Look, these things are so um, specific to the surfer. Like Timmy Patterson can make boards for the current world champ, amazing boards for the current world champ that work phenomenally for him, that don't work for Taj Burrow. And of course, these weren't even made for Taj Burrow. But (laughs) (laughs) but but that statement is still true. You know, like this is just how unique what we're, what
1: yeah. Look, it is as surfing. I, that surfboard's an incredible surfboard. it just isn't one that for Taz somebody likes. else. Yeah. Exactly. And the
0: Panda works, I'm sure incredibly for somebody else. Taj yeah. didn't like it for whatever reason. Taj didn't like it for, but that's why. Well, I
1: don't think Taj disliked the Panda. I think he started to come around and started to, he's like, there were some moments on this board that were incredible. That was just really phenomenal. And I want to give this one, I want to keep this one and give this one another try.
0: I guess what this underlines or for me and should for the listener or any viewer is that you shouldn't ever walk away from stab in the dark thinking now I'm going to buy the board that won the contest. Yeah. You should walk away understanding the value of working with a local shaper.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and it's funny cause a lot of times I watch stab in the dark and I'm like, it, it's, it's not really fair. You know, like of course it isn't. Yeah, it's and and then I realized it's kind of about the big picture here You know, like it's not there's going to be a winner There's going to be a loser But everyone wins because we're examining different surfboards and different shapers and it's and it's a neat format to do that
0: totally 100% and I was watching taj on crappy waves fall not make barrels Fully enjoying it and then I thought to myself is it that I like seeing the foibles and the failures in a session. And the answer is no. I don't want to see that if I'm watching an Instagram clip or some other clip. That's not the appeal. The appeal was specifically watching how a board worked versus another board work and watching Taj go through the paces of trying to figure those things out. That's why I liked watching him fall on a wave or not make the barrel.
1: Yeah. And I totally agree with you. It it is fun to watch him because, you know, in his mind, you're kind of going through what he's going through. You're like, oh, that board caught right there, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see the surfer in this case, Taj, going, "Oh, you know, maybe, you know." The, so it's a fun way to do it, right? And it's also really good when they comes when he comes into the beach and gives some commentary on each board. And as we mentioned earlier, he does a great job of that. You know, he, he really does a does. good job of just going. You know, you could get somebody that's maybe too over the top in their commentary, like may, maybe too emotional about it, and you could get somebody that's super diplomatic. That you're not getting any information out of them, you know. And in, in some regards, Mick might have been a little bit diplomatic, you know. And and I don't even know if diplomatic's the right word. Maybe he was just being polite, <laughs> you know what I mean? But Taj is pretty good about going. You know what? I, this one's kind of shit. I don't ever want to see this board again, you know. Yeah. And then and then other boards are going. Well, this one didn't work, but it did work. I want to give it another try. And this one I really liked. I absolutely killed it. There's nothing wrong with this board. I would keep this board right now and put it in my
0: quiver. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a fan, renewed fan of Taj and a fan of the money that I just spent for on Stab Premium. I feel good about it.
1: Yeah. There's something about Taj. Like, it's almost like, I, I guess I felt like, uh this is Taj's 2.0, you know, here comes 2.0. Like this is him trying to revive his content career or whatever. And the cool thing about Taj is you could kind of sense that he's like, yeah, I'll do it for you. No problem. Like he's almost doing them a favor and totally as opposed is. to the other way around. You know what he, I mean? Yeah. And that's I, what makes it refreshing to me is that he's like, yeah, I'll ride these boards for you. Okay, we'll do it. You know, But it's not like he's clinging on hoping to see some resurgence.
0: Fully agree. And uh, don't think he has any interest in necessarily doing a 2.0 thing.
1: Exactly. I think his 2.0 is this this brewery that he owns that he's part owner in over there. Yeah. I think he's probably killing it.
0: Well, he's got, yeah, I'm sure he has a bunch of investments and again, he's spending his time with his wife and kids. So good on him and free surfing. I mean, clearly the guy's still at the top of his game. Um, transitioning away from that, I, this is kind of a, not really a story, but just, I saw the Connor O'Leary's latest video far East. Yeah. Did, exactly. <laughs> I didn't think that you'd watch it. You, okay. So you might've seen the Instagram clip, Connor O'Leary surfing backside. Uh, on a couple of rights in Australia st- on a stickerless Channel Islands. Do you remember this clip from two days ago? No. Oh, my God. Connor O'Leary is ripping. I'm a fan. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm like – I, I think he's a world title contender. It's crazy how good he's surfing. Yeah. And so the question kind of that I wanted to pose to you was just – uh, w- there's so many stickerless surfers after COVID that if you have a sticker on your board right now – it, it, it's not equated to how good of a surfer you are necessarily. <laughs> right. And so if, and I think Damien Farrenfort even said it in the Instagram section, he was like, Hey, anybody, the team manager at Quicksilver needs to take this clip to whoever is left on that team and just be like, Hey, unless you're doing this, don't ever <laughs> ask me for a raise essentially because it's, it's so true. Like why did Connor get cut? And the reality is he probably doesn't have, you know, 200,000 Instagram followers or whatever, but the, the surfing was next level. Like it would win any contest on the world tour. If the contest was held at that right, you know, it was really mind blowing. So good on, good on Connor. But the sad thing about it was also, well, you better go start applying for jobs because that skill set isn't really that marketable anymore in our current economy. Hitting it, hitting the well, lip backside eight times, really hard. Well, not only is it not marketable, there's no market for it. No, there's, there's no, no more to do it.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's it's kind of a sad thing. The sticker thing got me thinking. We're gonna, you know, what we're gonna see is, <laughs> we're gonna see a bunch of pros on the W, on the WCT with like, bubblegum surf wax sticker here and like, <laughs> a little rip curl sticker here. There's going to be multi stickers
0: like, like a uh, Gabriel Medina's board yeah, or, like, or Jadson Andre. Yeah.
1: It's like the days of just one big H on your board or one big Nike swoosh are over.
0: Totally. Um, you know, it would be better actually is if there were just not non-endemic brands too. Like, yeah. honestly, I'm fine with that. And I think there's certain examples of that. Stephanie Gilmore has Nikon, stuff like that. Kyle Lenny. Kylenny's got a couple. Um, Sally Fitzgibbon also yeah. has a couple. I My think she has like, like an got almond mix
1: or something. Like, that's actually stuff. Like some sort, Steph. Of, some but, sort of breakfast cereal
0: or I think. I think St- Sally has almond milk, almond breeze or something. But good honor. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. Oh. Um, speaking of nowhere for Connor to wield his uh, backhand – Do you want to hear some details about the tennis tour in Australia?
1: Yeah. I sent this over to you. I think I sent it to Nick Carroll too.
0: Yeah. We talked about it briefly last week, but I listened to a podcast called the ticket with Tracy Holmes that a listener sent and they had tour direct. This is a news podcast out of Australia, ABC, I think news. Um, They had tour director, Craig Tiley, tour director for the tennis tour. Yeah. Uh, Craig Tiley, and he was explaining some of the details about the the hoops that they've had to jump through in Australia. He said they organized between the athletes and the support staff and all that 1,217 people. They quarantined them in three different hotels for 14 days. Every single one of those people was tested every single day. These were people from 100 different countries on 17 flights within the space of 48 hours. They wow. or- orchestrated all of this. So 1,200 people, 14 days, three hotels from 100 countries, 17 flights all get to these three hotels. Everybody's locked down for 14 days, except the athletes are actually allowed to leave for five hours a day to go to the gym and to go to practice specifically. But all of that was escorted by police or COVID marshals into the heavily regulated, what they call the red zone area. So you have these chaperones corralling you from place to place. And that process alone required 1500 staff members between the police and the COVID marshals. And furthermore, players have known about this since October. This has been this level of orchestration was so sophisticated and well-mapped, it required that many months to do it from October until now and that many people to do it. Yeah. With, with of course, protocols in place for if there was positive tests and all that sort of there were, stuff.
1: Weren't there a couple positives?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, couple,
1: I heard there were two or three positives.
0: So, the logistics,
1: that, COVID logistics is a, is a legit job right now and it will be for the next few months and it has been. and. And it could seriously be a job in a couple of years. I mean, could be. like we have pandemics every 20 years. People are like, this is a once in a lifetime thing. No, it's not. You know how many pandemics we potentially had? Like we had SARS-1, Ebola. Like these are things that were real close to just finding their way to the United States and to other countries. You know, this isn't, this is the new normal, I think.
0: Well, this, to this level of spread, obviously, this is a once in a century thing. But the question in regard to the tennis tour is, if that's what's required, does the WSL have, A, the resources, B, the organizational wherewithal and know-how to pull it off for an event in April? And and do they have the time at this point? We're no. January, do they have the time? No, they simply
1: no. don't.
0: It's not and gonna it's, happen.
1: And it's not a, um, I don't wanna bash on the WSL, it, the World Tennis Association or whatever it's called. What is it called? Do you know?
0: Mm, no, not off the top of my head.
1: Anyway, they're a major league, major league sporting association or organization. I mean, they got their shit together and they got tons of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, granted the WSL has tons of money, but I just don't, I just don't think they have the, I don't think they have the people in place, employed to
0: get it done. I, I agree. I think that's the problem, too. You're right. They have the resources. Dirk Ziff has the resources to contribute to the WSL. But I feel the same way that you feel, in that it's a uh, lack of kind of a, a, an understanding that this is the model to be following and then implementing the people and the systems in place putting the people in place to implement the systems that need to be orchestrated to pull something off at this scale. Like stab actually part of their premium thing. They wrote an article about um, what would need to happen. And I don't know if they heard that this was happening or if this was what they were pitching, but they were saying, you know, you could rent a seven forty seven, fly it out of LAX to Sydney. Cost half a million bucks to do it. And you could fit 300 people on it. So that would be the athletes and the support staff. And then rent out the hotel for two weeks, essentially doing what the tennis tour did. Yeah. And what they didn't account for is that not all of our tour athletes are in Los Angeles. So you'd they have, have to, to
1: figure out. No, they have to get to Los Angeles. They'd have to
0: get to Los Angeles.
1: you got to start in Los Angeles with a bunch of negative tests.
0: So there's half a million bucks. And then you spend 3000 bucks per person. For a hotel room for two weeks
1: in Sydney, right next to the airport,
0: right. And um, I guess they interviewed. Uh, There's a number of uh, surfers that were actually spending time in those hotels because they were coming back from Hawaii. Wade Carmichael, um, Connor O'Leary, once again, and they were saying that those surfers were grumbling because the WSL actually wasn't going to be covering cost of the flights. And once you're there, by the way, in Australia. You're away from your family, of course, for five weeks because there's two events with quarantining on both ends. You then have to get home. So everybody's going to different places from Australia. So even if they flew the surfers to Australia, the surfers have to get home on their own dime. And they were saying that the surfers are grumbling because they've been without a paycheck for over a year. So a lot of those sponsor deals, I would say 80% of the sponsor deals have fallen through. So they're not getting paid from their sponsors. And then they didn't collect any prize money in 2020. Probably didn't go actively looking for a job either because they felt like there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, now if the light at the end of the tunnel is, you have to spend a bunch more money to come get to where there's a potential paycheck and then also um, use a lot more money than you would have originally had to spend because there's all this additional protocol. There's a lot of grumbling surfers.
1: <laughs> yeah, and plus, once you're in Sydney, I mean, you're in New South Wales. You still have to go to Queensland, which has a whole different protocol and a whole different – like, Queensland's well, no. not just going to let you come over to, from New South Wales, are they? they got to go
0: to Victoria.
1: Well, wherever. I mean, they've got to go from state to state. Right. And each one of those states has their own state-level deal. Like, That's a good point. In other words, I think if you go to Victoria from New South Wales, you have to quarantine again, I think.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. I don't either. So but the, the point is I really don't see this happening for the no. WSL. Hell
1: no. It ain't happening. What they need to do is just tell everybody it ain't happening. Cause it ain't happening. I mean, what they about, put out a press release today about some like save the oceans thing. It's like, it was so like not reading the room. Like, Oh, I know. No, nobody's going to even read this press release. Tell us something about what's going on. Are you having it or aren't you having it? And look, They're not having it. There is no way it's, and again, it's, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying, let's be honest. This is a massive ordeal. And and tell you what, God bless Australia. They've done it right, man. They've got it. They got their act together regarding COVID.
0: New Zealand's done it right.
1: Yeah. Both of them together. In fact, they joined forces.
0: Yeah. Um, What are you, what are your thoughts on the Tokyo Olympics?
1: I don't think it's happening. I really don't.
0: I don't think so either. I, how could I it?
1: It'd be one thing if, if all how many countries are there? Like 170 or something. Not it'd be one, If all 170 countries had vaccine and were like doing an effective job of getting it into people's arms, which the United States isn't, <laughs> and I'm sure there are other countries that are having problems. If all of that went right, then maybe the thing to do is just to have a huge shitload of vaccine in Tokyo. And just fly everyone to Tokyo. And as soon as you get off the plane, bam, you're just slamming into your arm. And then you go to a hotel room for two weeks. Yeah. But I mean, even that's just some silly pipe dream that I just made up. There's, that's probably way more to it than that. And there's probably not enough hotel rooms. It's just crazy. There's no way. I I mean, look, I know that you've read some, you've seen some grumblings, even in the mainstream media, that the Olympics probably aren't going to happen. And NBC is trying to cover their ass. Oh, yes it is. You know, like there's, big time mega dollars. I'm sure that the prime minister of Japan's trying to push it through, but he's got some political people probably going, you know what, not a good idea. And uh, You know, he's got the chamber of commerce going, we're gonna, another year of losing $15 billion, you know, like there's so many weird pressures from everybody. Um, And look, David and Scott want the Olympics to happen. We wanna see it, but it's just not gonna happen. I'm sorry, I doubt it greatly.
0: Where are the next scheduled games to be scheduled?
1: France. I believe okay. in Paris. I believe it's in well, Paris. Oh, that's right. That's then right. It go- then it goes to Los Angeles.
0: That's right, because I forget that was a news story we talked about here a while back was um Chopu. The location for the surf event would be at Chopu. Yeah. So I'm okay with that. I'd I'd rather have the de- the debut be at Chopu anyways than no in a beach break. That's
1: a great point
0: that'll be much that'll bode better for uh i mean you and i
1: both saw what the waves were going to be like on the scheduled day of the olympics in 2020 and it was hideous yeah totally. it wasn't even rideable totally i mean it was grovel it it made your home spot of huntington beach look like sunset beach
0: i live in newport now thank you very much Uh,
1: easy guy you know what i
0: mean we elevated (laughs) elevated our position in life
1: i see that long Wallet chain dangling from your, (laughs) you got the, you got the white socks pulled up to the knees.
0: Yep. You know me so well.
1: Sophie's really a pit bull.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She might have some DNA. Um, Well, all right. Well, bummer for, sorry to release that news to everybody here listening, but no Olympics, no WSL season for 2021 unofficially. You heard it here first
1: yeah hey we um uh, we were talking last week about this so-called podium of like the mount rushmore of waves we need to come up with a different name for it but the idea being that there's 10 waves that we <laughs> now can it's all 10 yeah because i we have to make it 10 there's no way it can be four yeah and that's yeah. why it's not sure. mount rushmore plus we got mount rushmore for people's so anyway we got to come up with something besides mount rushmore but it's the 10 greatest waves ever written. Okay. Or Influential. actually, that's that's a working title. It needs to change.
0: Okay. Because
1: it's, it's not the greatest waves ever written. It's is a better better way to phrase it. And we came up with these with these waves. And then I was thinking about some other ones that need to be on there. Like, how about this one? Brock Little's Waimea Bay Barrel during the Eddy. For sure. Right? And then if we go back to the free ride era Sean and MR in the tube together off the wall where MR burns Sean and they just without you know, a
0: doubt Bill that Delaney's
1: is... got him just it's insane like that's got to be one of them in my opinion right insane yes and then i reached out to Matt Warshaw about this and Matt hates this <laughs> at least i of think course he, he does yeah he hates get like look i know you love doing this but what do you think and he goes, well, what about Hinson's first wave at Cape Saint Francis? That's yep. in the running, right? Like I think you to. W- we need to get twenty and then whittle it down, right? Yeah. And then he said that he would swap Greg Knoll's Makaha wave for his Third Reef Pipeline bomb, which I don't know. That's to be. That's a debate. And then I said, look, Coa Smith's GoPro POV. At Skelton Bay has got to be there. And he's like, well, he thinks Corey Lopez's wave at Skelton Bay, which I think was maybe one of the first ones.
0: I think Coas. I do too. Coas is more seared into my memory.
1: Yeah. And I think it's more, it's just faint, more famous. It's more like, it was an, oh my God, like Laird at Chopu millennium wave type moment where you went, oh my God, did you see this guy's tube for like five minutes? He was in the barrel. It's incredible. Yeah. Anyway, those are some of the waves. Um, and uh, I'm sure some listeners will send in some of their thoughts. There are so many, you know, moments where you're like, oh, you know. Didn't Rennie, like, didn't somebody at Rincon ride, like, 25-foot Rincon in 1969 and there's, like, footage of Rennie on a wave or something? Is and, there? I yeah, I think so. And, you know, there's every spot has its moment where it's like, oh, you know.
0: Yeah, totally. That's what I was thinking last time too. There's, I almost have to start breaking it down by spot.
1: Yeah, you know? and it's that's like, a good way to look at it.
0: But I mean, the ones I, I feel like I have a hard time um, contributing to this conversation because the ones that were so iconic to me were specific to my generation. And I don't know that they necessarily make it onto Matt Warshaw's radar or yours. Like no. I'm thinking if it was here, like the Gold Coast area, Shane Beshan's 30 point heat that he got there, three 10 point rides, you know, like I remember one of those waves just endlessly barreling and that was seared into my mave. That that's the wave that I think of when I think of that spot. Yeah. But well, I don't know that anybody else would even remember that.
1: Yeah. I think, I think too, like when you think about the Gold Coast, right, you've got to lean on the guys that have been there. Like there are guys that will right. be like, Exactly. Oh my God, Wayne Dean in 1979 got the most sick friggin' Wayne Dean's wave. They all know, like they're at a pub right now. Totally, pull back schooners are new, and they're just like Wayne Dean. But no, don't even talk about it. It's Wayne Dean in 1979, and you and I are like, Whoop, what, you know? Right. And so we need to lean on those locals to get that insight. And then, I mean, it, it it helps if there's footage of it. Like I hate to say it, but like, oh, it totally does. You know, yeah, it's kind of. And luckily, most of the waves are going to be in the era of film. Like there's not any, you know, like, you know, rabbit kakai at castles in 1920. I mean, okay, you know, maybe. Right. But, you know, when you start to think about specific spots and specific regions, what about the mental wise? And oh, by the way, it doesn't mean there has to be a wave from this area, from, from these areas, you know, maybe there just isn't one that's Look, there's a million great rides in the mental eyes, you know? Exactly. And, okay. That's it. Like that. Sorry. There's just not one. That's like the craziest, you know, like it's kind of like YMA you're like the craziest wave ever at YMA was a left, <laughs> you know, like it could be suggested that Bruce Irons pulling into the tube during the eddy going left is like the moment for Waimea. And so my point is, is like, in the mental wise, it might be, who knows, like, you know, a mental kid on his first ride at HTS when it's two feet. I, you know what I mean? So anyway, don't let spots, don't feel like there has to be a ride from a certain region. Like, can you think of an iconic one that could make this list where we could whittle it down or keep it for the mental wise? No. We start thinking September sessions or you start thinking, you know, maybe. Those there might be a wave are... at like Greenbush or something like, but yeah, they're all so perfect. It's like, they're, it's just a, homo- it's, it's homogenized.
0: And they're all too similar. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Can you think of any killer wave? One they're all,
0: yeah. No, they're not, not one that stands out from others. That's the problem.
1: There's probably one from can do it Left from a couple of years ago, that mega swell.
0: But, but that, again, yeah, I yeah, mean, again, it's I like, think of okay. I think of Craig Anderson's wave there, but that wasn't like the gnarliest barrel or it was, yeah, I mean, it's pretty it was a well surfed It was a well surfed wave that was pretty gnarly, but it wasn't. It's just like another G
1: land or Desert Point. It's like okay, yeah. another fast left where the guy got slotted in a twelve foot wave.
0: It's all kind of the same, right? At well, least, as, at least as, when we look
1: at it from this point of view,
0: I was also thinking about G land too, and I was like, man, so many it's seared into my memory, but not a specific wave, you know, like Kelly Slater on that neon green board with like weaving through tubes. I remember, and I remember Tom Carroll with his booties tucked into the back of his pants, a couple of those waves, but none, none, not one of them as being better than another.
1: Yeah, exactly. These waves need to transcend on some level, like the Sean MR thing When that happened, that was basically Bill Delaney going here, you're watching it right now. We are seeing not only the changing of the guard, but a new way that guys are riding the tube, you know, like they're, and, and so these waves need to have that sort of, Oh my God moment, like Laird's and,
0: you know. Well, there was one for me this past week, which is my must see moment. And it was Jamie Brissick's Instagram. He posted of Tom Curran kind of uh, bobbing and weaving at Rincon on a skimboard. And I was just, my mind was blown. It was perfection. It's, it, it made me reset and rethink all of my surfing. It was like, what am I doing trying to pump down the line or, or get to this section he has maximum speed at all times. He has maximum speed in transition, just his body mechanics, everything, everywhere he goes on the wave. It's not because, Oh, I could do a big ripping cutback right here. No, he's redirecting right here so that he can bank off the bottom for the next section. That's down. the. Like it was just seamlessly fluid poetry in motion. Tom Curran on a skim board.
1: I got to see this. I'm excited to see this. You you fired me up to see this.
0: Dude, he's gnarly. It's so oh, gnarly. And it's modern. It's current footage, like, from recent. And you're going, dude, the guy.
1: From last swell or something, like, from the last couple of weeks?
0: Probably, yeah. Yeah. And
1: Amazing. The thing like... is, you got to realize, though, is that Tom can paddle out on that, and everyone just parts. Like, there's no way you and I could paddle out at Rincon on a skimboard. We might get one or two waves, but, I mean, you know what I mean? With yeah, totally. Tom, they just go, dude, let him go. Let It's just, you know, Yeah, he, he's the master.
0: Well, I would never be able to ride a skimboard in that fashion in any way on any type of wave, but it is translatable to either your shortboard or your mid-length or your longboard. Just the way that he's doing it is the way that you would do it no matter what you're riding. Yeah. It's incredible.
1: I've, I've been lately, I think I mentioned this to you, but One of the thoughts that I put in my head when I surf these days is to surf with dignity Mm. because a lot of times I can catch myself trying to do this or do that or whatever it is, you know, wank the board down the line. And I'm like, man, this is not dignified surfing. Totally. And so when I think to myself, surf with dignity And it doesn't just affect the way I ride the wave. It affects the way I am in the water too. But hundred percent surf with dignity. And that's what Tom Kern does. He surfs with dignity. Like he's like, and and when you surf with dignity, when you surf smoothly and with style, you're, you're, I thought about this in the water today. You're really paying homage to the wave itself. You're like going, this is my dance partner. I'm not going to tear you apart. Or maybe I am if, you know, but I want to, I want to, respect the wave respect the wave let understand that this is a piece of energy that's been gifted to you and surf it with dignity 100%
0: that's that's exactly what I was trying to refer to when I said it made me reset and try to think about the way that I surf was um you said wanking the board down the line that's what I'll do I'll like start (laughs) thinking about how to like improve or I did this last time. So now I'm going to do this this time and I'm going to hit it harder. I'm going to do like all of that, get rid of that. So
1: here's the thing, excavate that. Why, why do you want to do those things? Do you want to get a photo taken? Do you want people to go, Oh, I saw you ripping. Like, what is the thing behind that? And when I examine that within myself, when I'm like, what, why am I really surfing like this? Like, you know, it changes my perspective.
0: Yeah. It's pull up your uh, the text that just came through. I just sent it to you so you can watch it in real time. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It is all ego. It's ego driven. It's me trying to get better at it. Yeah. You know, and which by the way, when I try to do, I get worse at it. Because I'm not doing the <laughs> dignity I'm not doing the dignity thing.
1: Yeah, we gotta do the dignity thing.
0: Are you pulling it up? Do you have yeah, access I'm, to Yeah, I'm it? watching it
1: right now. Oh my
0: God. Okay. Look at him.
1: He's looking behind like,
0: I mean, there's times where I would, be wanking it so hard trying to do a turn where he's just standing there, you yeah. know? And then he, and then he looks down and he's like, Oh, okay. I'm going to carve down to the bot, like a downturn down carve and pushing off the bottom. Like do you ever see the fins on this thing. No, is
1: it finless? No, it's no he's, fins.
0: I've seen the fins in other clips that he's writing. It's those S wing, those long skinny S wing fins.
1: I see some fins out of the, they look smaller though. But what flow, right? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, when you ride a board that thin, it's, it's a whole new ball game. the speed you get. Because you can ride so much higher, right? When you have a thin board, you can ride higher and stay higher for longer. So anytime you need speed, you're just dropping down a little bit. You know, It's mm-hmm. not like you have some two and a half, three inch thick surfboard that's just going to drop you down to the bottom of the wave and you will lose the speed zone
0: yeah well jamie um tagged he said thanks common household spider in his caption and common household spider is a longtime listener of this show so shout out to them oh he filmed it i don't know if he filmed it or if he just sent it to jamie jamie just said thanks to that person so
1: oh cool well thanks to jamie and to the spider fellow
0: um and by the way I know Rip Curl's working on a feature film with Tom that's going to be coming out shortly, like literally within a week or two. Oh, good. Um, and I think it's Vaughn Blakey <laughs> yeah. that is making it, uh, directing it, which should be amazing. Yeah. So I have high hopes for that.
1: I do too. You know what's interesting? No booties for Tom.
0: Yeah, that is, because he's often wearing booties. Yeah. He's a booty fan. January, tw- January 28th, so two... In two days, that film's coming out on Rip Curl. Look forward to that. I do, I do too. Um, my So that was my must-see moment. Did you have one or can I give you a Duke? No, give me a Duke. My Duke is Brett Barley. What did he do? He gave a surfboard to a guy that he crossed paths with uh, at Pipeline. So if you go to his Instagram, you can see the clip. He's paddling into a wave of pipeline, there's somebody else who's paddling into a wave of back door and they're gonna have to cross pads. And both surfers, they're just far enough apart to where they didn't see one another. And it looks like it's the worst situation ever. Like there, it almost looked unavoidable. Thankfully, they're both professional enough. The other guy actually pokes and starts to endo. Yeah. And Brett is professional enough to where he then just barely navigates out of the way but it's a, it's a situation at a gnarly wave and a gnarly, very gnarly spot right at the takeoff spot that they could have gotten into real, real trouble. Yeah. And they also both were with, well within their rights to come up and start screaming at one another or start swinging.
2: Yeah. And
0: apparently they handled it very dignified. Uh, and Brett, the guy, I guess the guy's name, is the other surfer's name is Maddox. Yeah. And uh He said, unfortunately, Maddox's board broke. And he's not a professional surfer. He's just a regular dude out there. And so Maddox's board broke. And they got up. They made sure that one another was okay. They went in to assess the damage. And Brett gave Maddox one of his six eights as a replacement for the board that Maddox broke.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool. So that's why he's
0: my Duke of the Week. Situation that could have gone south in a lot of different ways. Both survived. Both apologized. They went in, and Brett gave the guy a free board. So there you go.
1: That's cool. That's a good story. Glad yeah. to hear that. That's good stuff. So. Yeah, man. All right, Scott. Okay, well, look. Pretty good show. Not our best, not our worst. Um Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least from my advantage, I, I didn't bring the energy on. I,
0: I think maybe people like a low energy, Scott. You know, uh, you maybe. can't make that assessment for them.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, look, um, until next time, well, wait, hold it, but there's more. Oh, tell me. We have the California Gold Surf Auction. It's taking place April 16th. I know that's a ways away, but I want people to get excited about the California Gold Surf Auction. And I just got my hands on a George Greeno, verified George Greeno uh, kneeboard. Velo? It's going to be, no, not Velo. It's a carbon fiber edge board. Wow. And we got pictures with George with the board. Wow. And, um, and, uh, I'm pretty excited about that and a bunch of other really cool boards. And I tell you what, there's, it's so much fun to go uh, get a phone call and visit these people that have these boards and these collections and to be able to pick through it and check it out and talk to the guys for hours and and get to see some really incredible boards and a, a ton of, Surf history behind these boards and the stories behind these boards—it's a a real blessing for me.
0: Awesome, yeah, awesome.
1: All right, good. Until next time, David. Adios and aloha. I went to the doctor
2: and the doctor said, "Sit down. I got some bad news." Said, "Put your pants back on. Tie up those shoes." I braced myself for the worst I knew this could mean the end. He said you'll never, ever, ever surf again. Never surf again. He said I tell you as your doctor and as your friend I take a few days off, and let this sink in. But I knew from the first that a dream had come to an end And why I may I obey From one second to the next Just fade it away But there's nothing you can do When the doctors say